A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. We'll get to 200, and then Vinny will just release all of the off cuts of us saying really off shit. And that'll be the end of the show. I'm going to splice it all together so you're saying, like, I hate the Jewish people. (laughs) 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 The Holocaust didn't happen. (laughs) Whether it's two hulking masses of muscle and veins duking it out in front of a fully sold-out arena... Or just a couple of skinny kids scrapping in the schoolyard whilst a teacher yells, World Star! and films it on their phone. Us blokes love a good fight. And I've got a question for my two friends here that I think only men as manly and macho as them can answer. Who is the greatest competitive fighter of all time? Now, I'm not talking about a foot soldier like in the military or anything to do with war or fighting for a good reason like for your own life i'm talking about the people that make it their entire life about simply hitting another person in the face repeatedly just for the thrill of it all so without further ado i'd like to know how you're both doing seb how you doing i'm doing all right yeah um as you might have seen i've got a new microphone set up it's the same microphone but with a pop filter so hopefully it's not as (laughs) as it was previously um Good improvement. Big improvement. Michael's got one too. Vinny already had one. That's about it. I've not had any big drums. I've not been pulled over by the by the five zero. All right. Do you know what did happen? Actually, that's funny. My housemate got something delivered, and I opened the door. I took the package off the guy, and then he did that thing where he took a picture of the package. Oh yeah, I've seen that before. He sort of didn't take a picture of the package. He took a picture of my package. Um, so I'm just going to send you the picture that he that he took and then sent to Chris, my housemate. Oh, wait, why were you stark naked? You're well, naked. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know he was going to take a picture, did I? Why are you opening the door stark naked? <laughs> oh, because I needed the normal. Pa- I needed the package. Mate, throw on a robe or a towel or something. Like, bro, that's not good etiquette. No, 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 for real. I had pants on, right? They were just up. That's going on Insta. That's well, no, here's the thing, right? <laughs> you, you fucked up sending that to me. Let's go. No, here's the thing no, the trouble is, right, is the reason it looks like I've got no pants on is because when it's you know a Saturday morning and I'm trying to make people laugh, namely my partner, my go to move is pulling your cock out, you know, is putting my pants <laughs> up my bum crack as high as it'll go. And then pretending like I haven't noticed and then just walking out the room with like a big thong on, basically. And that always gets a bit of a giggle. That's and even I... worse. <laughs> you, you open the door whilst the thong was riding right up your ass crack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Don't be so proud of that. What's that? Yeah. I... <laughs> he didn't notice. He just took a picture. That's awful. Well, yeah. yeah I'm sure. Yeah, he definitely took a picture, mate. Yeah. He... <laughs> He was like, oh, fuck it, I'm going to show the boys this one. Look at this freak. <laughs> well, I thought, it was, I thought it was pretty normal. There we go. That's good news. Oh, yeah, fair enough, mate. That's that's good. I'm glad I asked you what, you, what you've been up to recently. 
in a in another fashion uh, related topic, I'm wearing a hat today. I, I mean, I sometimes wear a hat, but specifically for the podcast now because I hate how fucking bold it makes me look. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's the podcast, Michael. It's an audio <laughs> format. No, it is. It's the I've got like LED lights for in here because obviously. Mm. Are doing shit in here, working and and that, so it's it's good lighting, but it just really shows the the thinning. So the hat's going on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, shit. Who wants to go first? Uh, I'm eager to hear what what you boys have to say for yourselves. I'll go first. Michael, go first. This one took a little bit of thought. Uh, did I bend the rules? Oh no! No. Oh my god, I'm no. sick of this. I'm sick of this. I'm so bored of this. I dread to think what the people at home are like. They must just be like, oh, it's Michael's turn again. Greatest competitive fighter is going to be Noddy. Or, you know <laughs> what I mean? It's... No, I uh, I chose the Red Power Ranger. Hey, I'm joking. He did used to be a cage fighter, though, but no. Uh, I actually took this one seriously because... Thank God. I, I love combat sports. I've been into boxing and MMA since I can remember. So I took this one seriously. I didn't pick fucking Aragorn or the Red Ranger. I picked a real fighter. And I didn't even think about it for a second. The name was already in my head. So I didn't go through a list of, oh, I'm going to do so-and-so and so-and-so. I've just, I've got them straight up. So who have I gone for? Well, introducing in the red corner. Weighing 170 pounds with a record of 26 wins and two losses. The greatest fighter of all time, in my opinion, and hopefully in the opinion of Vinny as well. Fighting out of Quebec, Canada. It's George Rush St. Pierre. Oh, I think I know this dude. Is he, he's MMA, right? Yes, he is. George St. Pierre, I have picked. GSP for short. He is a former two-weight UFC world champion. And in my opinion, he is the greatest fighter of all time. Uh, he is an absolute monster. He looks like a fighter as well. So if you can't, if you don't know who GSP is, just quickly Google him. Have a look. He's cut to fuck. He's shredded. He looks like an animal. And he absolutely is. He was the guy who Captain America had a fight in with in Captain America, the second Winter Soldier. He has a fight with him on the boat. That's GSP. That's GSP. GSP. He's a beast. He's a third Dan black belt in karate, a first degree black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and he's also he also holds two other black belts in martial arts that I cannot even pronounce. Now, George grew up in a small rural town outside Quebec, Canada. He was heavily bullied as a child at school by much older and bigger children, like considerably older, and they were like gangs as well. They would beat him up, they would take his lunch money, they would pull his pants down on the bus, and they would like humiliate him in front of his classmates because he, he looked a bit funny. He didn't speak English, he only spoke French. He was a bit of a weird kid, he was very small. Um, Yeah, they absolutely ridiculed him for years and years years until one day he came home with a black eye and his dad was like oh fuck this right you're going to karate class so he started going to karate and he was fucking good he was very very good supposedly there's an incident where he took on three of the bullies at one time and uh beat them all up and that was it the bullying stopped there and then 
once he showed that he wasn't someone to be messed with at sort of 12 years old, they backed off. So his dad's plan worked. And um, the bully's plan didn't work, really, because the only thing they achieved by bullying George was unleashing a monster onto the world. So fast forward a few years, he's watching UFC 1, where the legend Royce Gracie is fighting, and he's doing some mad shit. He's using Brazilian jiu-jitsu, he's taking down guys much bigger than he is, and wrestling to the ground, and getting them to submit and everything else. And George is fascinated by this new skill, this new martial art. It's nothing like karate he's ever seen before. So he decides to travel down to New York six hours and he signs up to Renzo Gracie's famous Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy in Manhattan and he starts training. He becomes very proficient in both karate and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, making him a mixed martial artist, MMA, there we go. So he turns professional while working as a bin man and a bouncer in Canada, makes a bit of a splash, gets a few wins, and finally gets a UFC contract in 2004 at the age of 22. He steamrolls through his first two fights, absolutely dominates them, and is then given a title shot in only his third fight. This is way before the UFC was like the commercial stagnant powerhouse that it is now. It wasn't like that then. It was really done on like respect and like you really had to earn the fights. In my opinion, and this is going to make me sound like a hipster and like, oh, it's always better in my day. It was better. It was much better. There was like a huge roster of amazing fighters. Anderson Silva, Nick Diaz, Royce Gracie, Ken Shamrock, BJ Penn, all these guys, Chuck, fucking Chuck Liddell, like all these great legends that were biting at the time. And another one of the legends, the best welterweight in the world and the pound for pound king at the time was Matt Hughes. So he got his title fight against Matt Hughes in his third fight in the UFC and it didn't go to plan. Matt Hughes submitted George by an armbar with one second left on the first round. Oof. Yeah, he took a bit of a battering. The reasons for it, George puts it down to the fact that he admits, he openly admits he was completely in awe of Matt Hughes. He respected him too much. And in fact, when they faced off in the octagon, you know, when they touch gloves and the referee asks them if they're ready, George doesn't look Matt in the eyes at all. He's looking completely up at the sky. He, he can't look him in the face. He's a legend. Like, he's, he's just starstruck by Matt. And yeah, Matt submits him. That's the end. That could be the end of, you know, most people's careers. They get their shot. That's it. They fail. But GSP got back to work. He got back into the gym and he put together five wins in a row, which at the time was quite a lot. Like you don't have these huge long winning streaks back in the days. So five wins in a row was enough to finally get the rematch for Matt. And something really, really funny here. If George is known for one thing, it's that he's quite respectful and humble. He's not a big trash talker. So in Matt's fight against BJ Penn, so Matt beat BJ Penn and the next fight was going to be GSP for the rematch for the belt. Dana White does a classic Dana White, actually, like you said, and he brings GSP into the octagon. Oh, yeah, the classic. And he gets him on the microphone and you're, you're expecting, you know, it's always trash talk, isn't it? It's always, who, who the fuck is this guy? You know, it's always like, oh, fuck, you know, I'm going to smash your face and blah, blah, blah. GSP, the fucking legend that he is, the technical master that he is, because he's he's really well-rounded. He's really well-proficient in all of these different martial arts. He's a very respectful, humble guy. He comes out with, in my opinion, probably the best and maybe worst, I don't know, call-out ever. He just says, Matt, I watched your fight. I'm glad you won the fight. I was not very impressed with your performance. <laughs> 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 and they stood right next to each other. <laughs> it's like it's like a teacher. He's like, yeah, <laughs> he's like really disappointed in his pupil. He's like, 
you know you could be doing better you know this is not up to your standards mate it's really fitting of his character because George had like developed this character of he's technically like a master of this he's not like a knockout artist he's not a just a grappler or a wrestler he will take you down he will beat you on the ground or he'll submit you or he'll knock you out with flying superman punches or wheel kicks he's just an all-round technically like fucking terminator and this was the reputation that he had at the time, especially going on that five winning streak, getting up to the rematch. He was starting to build this reputation of just being like something no one had ever seen in the UFC before. Most people at that time weren't necessarily pure mixed martial artists. They were either an expert in Brazilian jiu-jitsu or wrestling or boxing, but he was like the whole package. So him coming out and saying, I was not impressed by your performance. And he's got like a pretty funny French-Canadian accent as well, so it doesn't really... I, I'm not going to do it, but it's quite funny. Just just look it up. It's it's history. It's very, very good. And then he just shakes his hand and they just like, fuck off. <laughs> but yeah, that was great. And he did get the rematch. Let's say this time George didn't pay Matt the respect that he showed him in the first fight. And he shat on his he, mom. Uh, <laughs> Don't make that a thing. Don't make that a thing. <laughs> no, he didn't shit on his mum, but he did shit all over Matt. He fucking dominated him. Every single punch was like being hit by a train. He just annihilated him. He was a completely different animal. In the end, he drops him with a huge head kick and just finishes him with pure elbow strikes to the ground. Like, he's done. He's finished. And George is then crowned welterweight champion of the world at 25 years old, which back then was pretty good going. It's not very old for a UFC champion, to be honest. What sort of ages are the peak years for a UFC fighter then? Well, that's quite debatable because there are some guys who can still be fighting and winning titles at like 37. So like Michael Bisping won the title, his first title, I think at like 35 or something like that. Wow. Probably about that age. So fighters can have really long careers. They can even make it big really young and be like champion at like 24, 25. And then by the time they're sort of 31, 32, they're sort of a little bit burnt out or they can turn professional when they can sign on to the UFC when they're like 30 or 27 and then start smashing guys until they're 40. It's, it's a bit of a weird one. There's not really a peak. It's just down to individuals, really, how much of an absolute beast you are. It's more of like a time limit of how long you can be in the UFC. I'd say between nine and 12 years and then you're kind of Mm-hmm. people's knees start going weird people take too many hits like Nate Diaz now is not the Nate Diaz that was fighting five years ago. he's just not he's like broken I mean not even five years ago ten years ago now like you can't take that many heavy hits so like, you just can't like say you do two fights a year you're basically in a car crash twice a year for ten years pretty much but no, yeah, no, you're quite right. Yeah, 10 years is a very good UFC career. And the time you spend as champion in those 10 years is going to be a lot shorter. UFC has a pretty heavy turnover of who's a champion because it's so highly competitive. You generally don't get guys being champion for more than three or four years. That's long. And that that is a fucking good stretch. Um, We'll get onto how long GSP was champion for later, but three to four years is fucking good for a UFC champion. Really, really elite. So I don't really watch UFC. Like, sometimes I'll watch it if i'm at a friend's house and he puts it on it'll be fun to watch but i i really don't keep up with any of that stuff so i i I don't really get how the world championship thing works is it like once you're world champion say like i want to fight you for the title and then they could agree and then they have a fight and then if the second person wins they become world champion in that like weight yeah so when you're when you hold a belt you can only make title fights effectively so you are then just constantly defending the belt and there's like mandatory contenders which are 
they previously were done a lot on merit. The mandatory contender thing's gone a bit wonky over the last, like, maybe... The last sort of five years, it's gone a bit strange. Yeah, it used to be done on a ranking system. So you have, like, the number one challenger. And if you, like, let's say you're the number 10 challenger, you beat a couple of guys in the top five, you move up the rankings and earn your shot. If someone gets injured, you might get a shot sooner. But now, it's a little bit more marketing-wise. Like, Dana White might give a shot to somebody who's only had one fight in the UFC just because he's a big name and it might make a lot of money. That generally happens. So to be a champion in the UFC for a long time, and especially at this time, I would say at this time, Georgia's fighting was the peak of like the level of fighters. And a little bit of that is down to the fact that there was no drug testing. So some of these guys were juiced to the maximum. It was brutal as fuck. But again, we'll get onto that a little bit more later. But yeah, so his next fight has to be a title defense because he holds the title, so he's got to defend it. And the guy who gets the shot is a fella called Matt Serra. Now, Matt won a reality show called The Ultimate Fighter, which the format of it pretty much is lots of up-and-coming fighters from around the world stay in a big house. It's a little bit like Love Island. They all fight each other. The winner gets a UFC contract. This version was a little bit different because it was guys who were already in the UFC who just weren't very good or had never had a title shot. And it was like called the comeback. They would all go in, do the ultimate fighter, and the winner would get a free title shot at whatever weight class. So Matt's not great. Matt Sarah's not that good. And um, he gets a title shot just by winning this competition. But GSP, this is his second mistake in his career. Second and last mistake. He vastly underestimates Matt Sarah and he loses the title after just one fight he loses to matt fairly convincingly it's probably still to this day the biggest upset in ufc history like gsp was on top of the world he was starting to become like the big wheel like marketing force behind the ufc he was selling pretty big numbers now and he's getting to be like the poster boy of ufc he's like the mcgregor of the day and matt sarah just comes in and beats him this guy that had to go on a reality show to sort of revive his career and it's fucking humiliating. But GSP is a man who learns from failures and mistakes. And this would be his last ever loss in the UFC. So following on from the Sarah fight, George goes back to the drawing board and he completely changes up his coaching roster. A couple of the coaches that he employed. So Firas Zahabi was his assistant coach. He promoted him to head coach. I think it was also a sort of around this time that he got the legendary Freddie Roach in as his boxing coach. And if you don't know who Freddie Roach is, I will just name you some of the world champions who Freddie Roach has trained. He trained Manny Pacquiao, Miguel Cotto, Julio Chavez Jr., Mike Tyson, James Tony, and Amir Khan, along with 50 other world title winning boxers. 50. 50. Freddie Roach is by far the greatest boxing trainer slash coach ever in history. There will never be any doubt about that. He is a monster. This was his first ever like dip into UFC and he's decided to train the best guy that was out there, which was GSP. He also trained Mark Wahlberg for the movie The Fighter, if you've seen that, which is pretty good. Freddie Roach is widely regarded as the greatest boxing trainer slash coach ever in history. He's got Parkinson's now, which fucking sucks because honestly, he's a complete legend. And yeah, I wish him like all the best. Oh, I love Freddie Roach. But also added into that mix, he also added a fella by the name of John Danaher to be his Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. And I think John is a very interesting character. So John was a instructor at Renzo Gracie's 
Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu training school in Manhattan, and it's like the most famous Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school in the world. John Danaher holds like six black belt, six degree black belt or whatever. He's fucking amazing. But at the same time that John became GSP's coach, he also coached a team of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighters who would go around and compete in various tournaments, not necessarily the UFC, but various BJJ tournaments across the world. And they won every single tournament they ever entered. And they were officially named. This wasn't a nickname. They were officially named the Danaher Death Squad, which is fucking terrifying. I think there's like six or seven of them. But imagine just saying like, and here comes the Danaher Death Squad. And six of six or seven of these Brazilian jiu-jitsu guys were up like, hello. It's fucking scary. And they're like, folklore in MMA. So I've listened to lots of interviews with John Danaher this week, and he's always talking about like how, oh yeah, so GSP was down in the gym and we had the squad round. So we just put the whole squad on GSP and he would just annihilate them and all these like mad stories about the death squad. But yeah, I just thought that was quite funny. So he would fight the death squad? Yeah, GSP would train with the death squad because John Danaher was the coach of the death squad and he then became G- GSP, wanted him to be his like exclusive BJJ coach and get in his corner. So why didn't he join the uh, the death squad? Because he's in the UFC. They could have gone to a death camp. <laughs> yes. Oh, God. Fuck's sake, Sam. <laughs> Fuck off. Keep that in as well. <laughs> But no, he didn't join the squad because the squad is like, they're like competing in BJJ tournaments. They're not fighting in the UFC. Okay, so it's a completely different body than BJJ or whatever the fuck that is. Well, the thing is as well, is that he's a really good mixed martial artist, but he's not necessarily a top. Like, B- You don't want like a sloppy BJJ guy. No, but that's wrong because GSP was not just like a mixed martial artist by like, he can do a little bit of everything. He was actually a master of every single... So he wasn't a sloppy BJJ guy. Oh, no, he would fuck up the squad from time to time. Okay. okay. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the cogs in his head were turning. I could see, I could see the steam whirring from his ears. <laughs> it was, oh my God, the one time I take this podcast seriously. <laughs> okay, so seriously, though, you're, you're, you're saying like if, George Simpia, if he were to just go straight into Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournament, you reckon he would win any anyone in the world? He wouldn't necessarily win, but he would do very well. And he has done, he has entered like karate and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu tournaments in the past and done very well, which is very surprising for an MMA fighter. Because lots of MMA fighters, they might just train in the general school of fighting like that. Some fighters don't even get their black belts until they've like won a title and you'll see them get presented with it in the octagon. But GSP, this was why he was completely different to every other fighter on the planet. He was like a master in every single category. And I watched an interview with John Danaher yesterday, and he said that GSP is the only fighter, only person he's ever seen in his entire career, who his level of knowledge and expertise surpassed that of his trainers. But what GSP did was he would do that in each category and no one taught him to do this, but he would then just put it all together to become the complete machine Terminator fighter. And yeah, so he's working with these guys. He's becoming this fucking machine. He has a couple of fights before he goes up for the title fight. He beats Matt Hughes again, you know, just for lols. He gets the shot at Sarah for a second time, and obviously he just fucking annihilates him. The fight ends with Matt Sarah curled up in a ball on the floor of the octagon with GSP just smashing him in the side with just knees. He's just like pounding him and pounding him. 
So that's it. It was the last loss of his career against Sarah. He's won the title back again, and then he goes on an absolute fucking tear. He put together nine straight title defenses. He was the welterweight champion for five years, and at the time, and for a very long time, that was a world record. Maybe beaten now, but at the time, it was the record for most title defenses, longest amount spent as champion. No one beat him between then and the end of his career. He had a few really noticeable fights in that run as well, because this was a little bit of a golden age of welterweight, so he fought Carlos Condit. And he very famously fought Nick Diaz. Nick Diaz is, most people who listen to this might not know, but they probably know who Nate Diaz is because he fought Conor McGregor. Nick Diaz is his older brother. He's a little bit of a gangster. He's a fucking hard nut. He's very, very good. And Diaz was calling out George for ages and ages and ages. Real big trash talk, just saying, you know, I'm the only one with the skill set to beat him. He's a pussy, blah, 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 all this. And uh, yeah, George obviously just fucking rips him to shreds because that's what he does every single time. Well, not every time, because his last fight came against a fellow called Johnny Hendricks. He was a really good fighter, he had a huge punching power. If he caught you with one punch, you were going down. It's as simple as that. Really good on the ground as well, good grappler. It was a really fucking good fight. GSP won by split decision, so it was a little bit controversial. And a lot of people, there was a lot of public opinion that was that GSP actually lost the fight. Lots and lots of people got on that bandwagon. Even Dana White said he thought maybe GSP lost the fight because he looked really fucking beat up. Like he's got like big black eyes. He's got cuts all over his face. Face is completely bruised. And Johnny Hendricks just looks kind of normal. Might be a couple reasons for that. Not accusing Johnny Hendricks of anything because never been proven. But there was no testing at the time for anabolic steroids. GSP has been proven to be clean a lot and he's obsessed with this testing thing. But, you know, that might be a factor. The other factor is some people just bleed more than other people. Some people just have softer tissue and they cut quite easily. And apparently George is one of those guys. He always looks a bit beaten up after a fight, even if he's dominated for five rounds. I've watched the fight again the other day. I still think George did win, but it was definitely close and it was a really tough fight. And it was so tough, in fact, that George completely shocked everybody, Dana White, Joe Rogan, everybody, the whole world. And he announced in the post-fight interview that he was hanging up his gloves. He says, I'm done. I'm hanging up my gloves for a little while. And Joe Rogan's like, wait, what the fuck? Are you retiring? You're literally the best champion in the world. Like, I don't understand. And he's like, yeah, I've got, I've got to go for a bit. And it was a decision that he didn't even tell his coaches about, really. He just made that decision right there on the spot after the fight to just step away. And there's a few reasons for it. One of them is that he was pretty obsessed with this testing thing. So he really wanted Olympic style like testing to come in for this particular fight and it was rejected. So he was pretty pissed off with that and stuff. And since it has actually been introduced and like John Jones, who's another big name, will tell you fighters get popped for steroids all the time now because they're cheating bastards. TJ Dillashaw as well. I'm looking at you. I remember seeing someone talk about, I can't remember who it was, someone who had a fight with, I don't know if it was John Jones or, and he was saying like he fought in like an all natural camp. Their whole thing was like all natural, all natural, we don't touch steroids. Because a lot of camps will openly say they'll take steroids in the run up, but they'll be clean for the fight. Oh yeah, that still happens now, yeah. That's not against the law, that's not against the rules. Like, But he was part of a camp that was like no steroids whatsoever. But I remember seeing an interview and he said, like, kicking him was like kicking concrete. He just never felt anything like it. Yeah, the guys that are on, like, the test boosters and stuff are insane. The muscle, it's not just the muscle mass, but the muscle density, which provides this, like, level of protection over your muscles. 
And I remember him saying, like, he'd been training with all these, like, guys, and he said they just, they felt soft afterwards. They felt, like, mushy compared to, like, kicking these guys on the test and stuff. And it was just, like, he said it was, like, kicking concrete. Like, they were just absolutely, like, rocks. It's really obvious. And at the time when there was no testing, you could point at different fighters and be like, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. It was so obvious, like, who was on and who was off. And as soon as they brought testing in, all the guys that were on, yeah, their like bodies just like completely sagged. They had like man tits rather than like huge pecs, and all of their careers went to complete shit because you know you're fucking cheating at the end of the day. I know it's in the rules, but it's dishonest. That's what steroids will do to you. Yeah, yeah. So that might have been a reason why he decided to quit. He apparently had a lot of stuff going on in his personal life and whatever. But he did step away. He was out for four years, actually, which is a pretty big, long layoff. In the time, he never actually stopped training. Like, he always kept training with his exactly the same coaches. They've been with him since, like I said, Zahavi and Freddie Roach and John Danaher. They've, they've never left his side. Probably still trains with them now, to be fair. Like, you never sort of stop taking care of yourself and GSP doesn't either, you know. Four years after his last fight, so this is in 2017 now, he agrees to come back to the UFC and fight Michael Bisping for the middleweight championship. Now, middleweight is the weight class up from welterweight. So he's stepping up a whole weight class to fight Michael Bisping. Michael Bisping is a bit of a beast. Um, honestly, he's he's a, an absolute monster. He's from England as well, so represent. He's also got one eye, which is insane. A lot of people don't know that. And he fought with one eye for a very long time in the UFC, like just winged all of his medical tests to be able to still fight, even though he literally has one eye. The other eye is just a glass eye. He's completely blind. <laughs> and he lost his eye fighting in the UFC, being hit by a guy who was on test. But he was fighting in the UFC for ages with one eye, even won world title with one eye. Beat some of the best fighters ever. And for George Shane Pierre, like, that's insane. <laughs> that's mental. The thing is, he's just hard as nails. There's some things that you can't teach in fighting. You can't teach someone to be fucking solid. Like, you just cannot. Yeah, he comes back to fight Michael Bisping in a weight class higher. So George doesn't have the best record of knocking people out. He doesn't have that many finishes. And that was seen as some casual fans as, oh, he's boring, like win on points, whatever. But he's dominating these guys for five rounds and he's winning very technically. Like it's a super high skilled stuff that he was doing at the time, but he was criticized for it. So he thought he would come back, fight at a higher weight class, which he was also criticized for. He was criticized for never stepping out of the weight division and fighting guys like Anderson Silva and stuff. So if I come back heavier, strong stronger, fitter, more ready, I'll fight harder, I'll knock him out, and I'll put to bed people tarnishing my huge legacy. But the training camp was brutal because GSP actually developed ulcerative colitis in his stomach, like stomach ulcers in your intestines, and it fucking sucks. Oof. Like it leads to like internal bleeding, Jesus. vomiting blood, shitting blood, like severe abdominal pain. And the fight camp they did for this was a lot shorter. It was only six weeks. Most of the time they sort of do 12 weeks. So they did a six weeks fight camp. And two of those weeks, George Champier couldn't get out of bed because he was in so much fucking pain due to this colitis. And John Danaher said on like one of the Fridays, he said, look, we're like two weeks out. He's going to fight in two weeks and he's in bed. If George isn't in the gym on Monday, it's gone. We don't fight. We pull out. And we'll be humiliated because it's been four years in the making, this big return. You know, we've wanted to fight higher. The UFC didn't want to do it. And now they said yes. So if he's not here on Monday, it's done. George is like, uh, uh, like dying. He's like, I'll be there. And he showed up on Monday, ready to go, fought the death squad. <laughs> he was good to go. He was banging up for it. John Danaher's like, sweet, let's have it. <laughs> 
He comes back and the Bisping fight's fucking great. I remember watching it. Seb, you might have actually watched it with me. I remember it, but I don't know why I watched it. Fucking bad, Bisping, to be fair. But he didn't knock him out. He hit him with a couple cheeky uh, Superman punches, knocked him to the ground, and he didn't knock him out, but he did choke him unconscious. Rear naked choke. Rear naked choke from the BJJ. Sloppiest of BJJs. (laughs) It wasn't sloppy. But he came hard. (laughs) He did come hard. He slept. He put Bisping to sleep properly. Bisping doesn't tap. He just went limp as GSP constricted around his esophagus. So he choked him out with his. He choked him out with his BJJ, his rear naked choke, and he was dumb. So GSP's fucking back, baby. But unfortunately, that genuinely was his last fight in the UFC because although they sort of planned to have him back for like a while, a few more fights, the colitis was just too much and he just, he vacated the belt like 30 days later. It was done. He couldn't do anymore. And that was it. That is a shame. That, yeah, it was a real big shame. The other biggest shame was he physically and in every way, he looked like better than he had ever been. He said like, this is the best shape I've ever been in. I've the fittest. Like I've learned the most in the last four years. Like, I'm the most complete fighter I've ever been in my career. I'm the best ever now. And he couldn't fight anymore. He was done. So yeah, that's the end of his UFC career. But I wanted to touch on a couple of extra points of just why GSP's the fucking GOAT alluded to it but he super popularized the ufc in the early 2000s single-handedly he put the ufc in the hearts of the casuals like myself and turned us into huge fans now that watch almost every event like if i don't watch the event live i'll watch the highlights the next day pretty much every single time like absolutely love it all because of gsp like he did that for millions and millions of people across the globe probably people like mcgregor they gotta shake gsp's hand and thank him as well for putting them on the map because uh, genuinely without gsp i don't think the ufc would be as popular as it is now the other thing is is his training style was just ridiculous and groundbreaking at the time so not only did he spar and train in his mixed martial arts he also trained in heavily very heavily in gymnastics like all of the time to make his body stronger make him leaner make his body move better he says it's like the best competition you can do. It's like one of the greatest sports and the hardest sports to compete in. And like he wishes he'd done it from day one because it's just so good for you. And no one, no one, I don't know any other fighter that trains gymnastics. He trains underwater, used sports science psychologists and like reaction time people and all this other stuff. Loads of guys do that nowadays, but in 2006, nobody fucking ever did it. They were just, you need to be better, shoot a load of tests. You know, they just juice up. Whereas GSP took the training to like another level. And yeah, he just became one of the most rounded, best fighters of all time. Like, master in every single skill. Wrestling, grappling, stand-up, boxing. Like, he'll hit you with a wheel kick, spinning back kick. He did stand-up. You have a lot in common with GSP, actually, don't you? What do you mean? Your origin story and your inability to speak English are very similar. And he's bald. Well, how they're both from Quebec and got bullied as a kid. Yeah, well, yeah, he was a weird, weedy kid who got bullied. Run of the litter. Then, but the trouble is, Michael just stayed. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a titan like GSP now. Although, he's not that big. He's only 5 foot 10. And I'm not, I'm like probably near 5'10", you reckon? Cue the headlines. Michael Davey, GSP, not that big. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, no, I'm sorry, George. I love you. I love you. <laughs> if you go and watch some GSP highlights, like the Superman punches he throws, like the wheel kicks, the spinning back kicks, like no one else does it like that. A Superman punch is one of the hardest techniques to do. It's where you like jump, you throw one leg back. So you're like on one foot and then punch forward. So you're like, you're like Superman flying through the air, but you're like, wham. I'll try and show you. Room for a treat here. You're sort of like, <gasps> that makes sense. <laughs> I don't want to be mean, but that might have been a podcast low point. 
I remember my brother telling me about Superman punches because he used to say that he used to do them on like nights out. He used to like fight people outside the club and like he Superman punched this one kid and he like collapsed or whatever. I bet he did a <laughs> a Superman punch is ve- is a well renowned technique because it's like devastating power, but it's risk high risk high reward because you're off balance. You can get caught easily, but nah, GSP's the don. So I looked up some stats, some UFC stats, and Georges Saint Pierre has the second number of UFC title bout wins, second to John Jones, who has fourteen. Yeah, but he's a juicer, so he doesn't count. So that's why you're not picking John Jones. He's a uh, he likes the steroids and crack, and I think he ran someone over. <laughs> <laughs> that's not. <laughs> and he's just not. No, he, no, he's not as good of a fighter. Because John Jones notoriously pokes people in the eyes, kicks their knees downwards. He's a dirty, cheating little bastard. Pokes them in the eyes? <laughs> Does he pull their hair and give them a wedgie as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, but in the UFC, your fingers are exposed in your gloves. So you can poke people in the eye. Eye poking is illegal in the UFC. You are not allowed to poke people in the eyes. But he gets away with it. He's a dirty bastard and he's not as good as GSP. Simple as. I'm going to finish off with just a couple little funny facts about GSP, which I love. Uh, number one, he fucking loves dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> He's obsessed with dinosaurs. What's his favorite dinosaur? I don't know. He hosted a History Channel documentary called, like, Bare Bones with Jules Champier, where he went around looking at dinosaur bones and shit. He fully believes in and is fucking terrified of aliens. To the extent where every night he goes to sleep, he puts a foam roller to block the door. And if the foam roller moves, it means aliens have been in and stolen his time. <laughs> this guy sounds like a nutcase. <laughs> and uh, another funny thing is... um, You left this till the end. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, this one's quite good, though. But he was a coach, a trainer on uh, one of the Ultimate Fighter reality shows where the young guys come in and he like coaches them. And he brought this guy out who's a Muay Thai fighter which is like kickboxing in Thailand, you know, pretty dirty sort of fighting, especially in Thailand. Like this guy is called Jean-Charles Skarbowski, and he's widely regarded as the greatest foreign fighter ever to fight in Thailand. So he lived in Thailand and fought in Thailand, but he was French. He had like over 100 fights with 75 wins. He would drink and smoke all day long and then just beat the shit out of people as well. And he actually brought this guy into the ultimate fight. And he was like, look, I've got a friend with me. His name's Jean Charles. He's going to spar with you. Don't hit him too hard. Don't take it too seriously. Don't try and prove yourself because he'll just knock you out and, and, and like humiliate you and annihilate you. And he came in still drunk, like shouting at the camera. He's got a big beer belly. He looks like a fucking right roughen. And then there's just footage of him with these young and upcoming, like some of the best fighters in the world. He's just flooring them with nothing he's just grabbing them and just chucking them halfway across the thing and all these guys are like getting hit by it looks like quite a soft punch and they're just folding to the floor writhing around in pain like he's just one of the funniest blokes i've ever seen like youtube john charles ufc ultimate fighter something like that it's it's one of the best three minute videos you'll ever see he's just so nonchalant and George St. Pierre's like, yeah, no one can be like John Charles. No one in the world can ever be like this guy. No one can drink and smoke and just kick the shit out of people. You can't live the way he lives. He's an animal. And I thought it was quite an interesting character for, for George to surround himself with. But that's it. I've been going for an hour. Cut lots of that because that's a big chunk. But GSP, 
I don't care who fucking Seb says. He's the GOAT. He's the greatest fighter of all time. He'll have you and he'll have your dad. Simple as it's done. I think anyone involved in the UFC would have me and my dad. Like, <laughs> it's not a competition. Not that I can skim a brick, right? <laughs> I skimmed the brick once. You did. And you're someone's dad. Fuck. Fuck. GSV's <laughs> coming for me. That's really interesting because I didn't realize the UFC was that recent i thought it was like it started mm. in like the 70s or 80s or something i thought like because it's so big i thought like it's been around for a while and there's you know a lot of legacy and whatnot like when did it start 1999 i think 1997 something like that. wow that's insane so it's it's been going like 23 years oh no no it's no 1993 i think because it had its 25th year anniversary recently oh okay yeah that's a hard act to uh follow up on i think seb well, follow up it. Follow, follow it up. Follow it up, I shall. Well, I follow through. <laughs> if there's one thing I do, it's follow through. We're going to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm going to interrupt Seb for an hour and be annoying. Well, someone had to. It would have been fucking well long. <laughs> so, weirdly, like Michael, I normally start these by saying I find it incredibly difficult to find who I'm going to pick. But this week... I didn't find it difficult at all. Like Michael, again, I have an interest in a lot of combat sports. Probably not as much as Michael. My interest in combat sports has come more in the last, like, five years. I picked up doing boxing training, and it was really big for me. And I really respect people who do it. I feel like once you give it a crack, any combat sport, your appreciation for watching other people do it is tenfold. Because I'm going to be totally brutally honest with you, it took me about a year of intermittent sparring to stop just covering my head and hoping that I wouldn't die. I'd say the hardest thing for me in boxing, and this makes me sound like I'm trying to recover some pride, but the thing that I find difficult with sparring is you have to learn where the line is. And like, if you get shoved about on the street or something, you just shove someone back, you go all out. And I don't mean to sound like a hard guy, I'm not at all. People who know me know that's not me at all. But I feel like most men, probably quite sadly, have had someone try and start a fight with them at some point. And you do just go into a mode of, I'm going to shove my way out. I'm going to kick and punch until... They're dead. Well, not until they're dead. <laughs> Keep going until they're dead. But you know what I mean? Yes, no, absolutely. Sparring is a totally different world, isn't it? You ha- There is a line. There has to be respect. So you end up just covering. And then you can't then, when you see a gap, go, right, I'm going to batter the fucking living shit out of you. It's technical. So you then have to just throw back a well-placed jab. And, th- and that's difficult. But yeah, I I love sparring. I I don't do as much of it as I'd like to. I really love boxing. I like all combat sports, but I'd say boxing is the big one for me. And like because of that, I'd say anyone who has an interest in any kind of sport will have a selection of people who they think are the greats. Like the really obvious ones, you've got your Tysons and your Arlies and your Mayweathers and your Glovkins and your Klitschkos, people like that. People who everyone sees as kind of gods in the ring. The same can be said of GSP and like Holly Holmes. She was big in female UFC for a while. She had that big knockout over Ronda Rousey, which was hilarious. <laughs> it was really funny. The thing was, Ronda Rousey was tearing it up. Yeah, she was. Yeah. She was on like a 12 person winning streak, maybe more. And then Holly Holmes beat the shit out of her. I remember watching that. That was a really big card. Someone else fought big fought on that card. I can't remember who, but the Holly Holm fight was like the second one on the main event. And um, Holly Holm at the time as well was like a little bit of a nobody. That was quite a shock. She was good, but no one expected her to fucking head kick and smash the absolute shit out of Ronda Rousey. But I was quite glad. But to be honest with you, all of those people feel quite intangible to me. 
their stories seem a bit far away and a bit too fairy tale to hold a true place in my heart. So I'm going to tell you the story of the person who I think is the greatest fighter of all time. But to tell you that story, I need to tell you another story first. The story is of a young couple who moved to Belgium in January of 2019. And that young couple was myself and my partner. My partner had been accepted to study for six months in Ghent, a city that is a bit like Bruges, but with more trading estates. I decided to tag along because I was working in the creative industry at the time, as I am now, and incorrectly assumed that my minor success in the UK would translate to a major success abroad. That did not play out. Now, (laughs) not many people moved to Belgium for a laugh and the travel (laughs) advice was pretty minimal, I have to say. Uh, The only thing that we were consistently told was that it would be fine because, quote, everyone speaks English. By the time we'd made the short trip from Brussels, the capital city, to Ghent, two things had become incredibly clear. Firstly, the rail infrastructure in Belgium was in dire need of revitalisation. And secondly, while it was true that the majority of Belgians spoke perfect English, it was also true that the majority of them did not want to. To cut a long story short, we spent the first month in Belgium only able to speak to each other and fighting the various layers of paperwork that would allow me to get a job. Just to put that into perspective, it took me six months of my eight months stay in Belgium to get a bank account. Oh, (laughs) That is the bureaucracy of Belgium. To put it into more perspective, Belgium has five decentralised governments for a country that's smaller than the UK. They are the most bureaucratic nation on earth. And this is something that most people don't realise. The reason that the centre of the EU was put in Brussels is not because Belgium is a coherent, well-placed country full of seamless integrations of people. It's because it's really split apart. And they thought that putting the centre of the EU would bring the various groups of people who live in Belgium together. I can't even name all the various groups of people who live in Belgium. The only differences I could tell you for fact are languages. So there's English, French, Dutch, Flemish and German are all spoken through various parts of Belgium. Obviously, English is like a second language, but those other four are main languages to different groups of people within Belgium. And neither of those groups of people particularly like each other, including the Dutch speakers and the Flemish speakers who effectively speak the exact same language. Yeah, I've only been to Belgium once and I illegally went on the ferry in the back of a Belgian man's van, which was spray painted with bubbles on and he was wearing a kilt. Happy fucking days. I would expect nothing like that. <laughs> That's a true story. <laughs> Weird detail to remember. <laughs> He was yeah, he was in a van, spray painted with bubbles on, and he was wearing a kilt. And there's a video of it on YouTube somewhere. Taught you how to make love for the first time. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but yeah, so like I said, I spent the first, or we, me and my partner, spent the first sort of month or so in Belgium, pretty much unable to speak to anyone. Not because they couldn't, but because people hated us. And if you're wondering why, it's because three years earlier we'd left the EU which is Brussels is the homeland of the EU and we had voted to go and so the British did not sit particularly well with the Belgians at the time. Also Europeans just generally don't care for British people I think like especially the tourists. We're notorious assholes and we did not move to a large city we moved to a small village on the outskirts of a large city and crashed round, causing much havoc for about a month until we got our shit together. So quite rightly, people didn't like us. However, all of that changed when I was cycling back from the shops one day and saw a sign that would change my Belgian experience and potentially my life forever. 
the sign said boxing worst or boxing worst or something of that effect. I never learned how to read it because I, instead of spending all my money on Dutch lessons, I spent it on boxing lessons. It had an illustration of a man with shaved sides of his head, very short hair on the top and a sort of a weird, what we in the UK would call a rat tail. But I don't mean that derogatorily. It's just a small ponytail. And I'm going to be totally honest with you. He looked like a hillbilly. And instantly I knew that I'd found my people. <laughs> I saw that picture and I was like, this is where I need to be. These people look much more like my kind of guys. So I went back to Boxing Worst the next day or Boxing First. And I walked through the door to be met with the same stony silence and looks of confusion that had met me everywhere else. And I was a bit disheartened. I was like, oh, I'm not these guys as well. And I tried in bad Dutch and bad English to explain that I was from the UK and wanted to train in boxing. And after a painfully long stunned silence, I resigned myself to the fact the adventure had been a bust and I was just going to be lonely. However, that silence was broken by a young man with a shaved head, the same rat tail ponytail and a massive bruise under his left eye and a strong, well, the strongest Dutch accent I had heard so far. He was laughing and thought that my inability to put a sentence together in Dutch or English was hilarious. He also informed me that I had misread the sign and turned up to the ladies-only boxing night, which he thought was fucking hilarious. Did you not think <laughs> when you came in, like, what the fuck's going on? Well, it was too late. It was too late. <laughs> he came over, uh, he asked if I was English before punching me in the stomach, calling me Brexit, and then telling me to come back next week. Fuck off. <laughs> Yeah. No, he didn't. No, is yeah. that true? Yeah, he punched me in the stomach, called me Brexit, and said, come back tomorrow. He was the guy from the sign, and his name was Jean-Pierre Junior Bowens, or Junior, and he is undoubtedly the greatest fighter I have ever met. He's also one of the greatest people I've ever met, and above all of that, an enormous dickhead. It's important to know that everything I'm about to tell you about Junior's life comes from the 2012 documentary Junior, his Wikipedia page and various articles which I've Google translated from Dutch and talking to the other people I trained with. He didn't really like talking to me about his past and preferred to try and trick me into insulting myself and others in Dutch. To put that in perspective, he once tricked me to go and speak to one of the guys he was training, a guy called Yanis, who was six foot one and a professional boxer. I walked over him to ask what I thought was, can I have some headgear? What I actually said was, can I take you up the arse? Oh, wow. And Junior, he thought that was fucking hilarious. He would do that to me <laughs> almost every day. What was the dude's reaction? Stunned silence. And then Junior <laughs> shouted, can you give him some headgear? And then laughed. And that was that. And that would happen most days. Wow. Junior, like I said, he didn't really like talking to me much about his past. But from what I've worked out, Junior was born in 1988 in Ghent. He was the oldest of seven siblings, three of which are moderately disabled and one of whom is severely, severely autistic to the point where he's like unable to talk and doesn't have the best motor control. He grew up very poor and caring for his younger siblings. I don't really know much about how he got on at school, but I imagine it wasn't really his thing as he focused much of his energy outside of his home life in boxing. He trained as an amateur fighter, and then by 2007, age 19, he was having his first professional fight, which he won by TKO. He then blisters his way through the lightweight and super lightweight divisions. His lightning quick hand speed and incredibly tough chin and rough upbringing started to attract the press. 
It became like public knowledge that he was fighting to get a better life for his family. He wanted to get a bigger house and more money so that he could get enough rooms for his siblings and his mum to live in. And I don't know if you've ever seen someone fight to literally put food on the table, but it is pretty fucking terrifying. His chin is just granite. Like, there's points where I would say he is not the better fighter in the ring, but he is just taking hits and then giving them back twice as hard. And he just doesn't care. And like, like I said, like the first time I met him, he had a huge bruise under his eye. He gets absolutely battered. He's taking huge hits and he just shrugs them off like they're absolutely nothing. Like I would say, you can't teach being hard. Like you can't teach being fucking solid mentally, physically. Like if you've had a tough paper round, you will just be fucking solid. And other fighters can try and learn that. But if they haven't got it, they just haven't got it. And he sounds like he has. Well, that was the thing. And like Belgium's a funny country and it's hard to put into words like the class divide there. Belgium wants an image of middle-class, well-educated intellectuals. And if you're not part of that, you quite quickly get pushed to the sidelines of society. And he and his family were definitely those people. I would say they have a weirder and more intense class culture than the UK. And that is saying something. And because of that, he starts to get a bit of press, but it's like not realistically in the nicest way. But we'll come on to that later. So he has his first fight. He then goes on to an 18 fight unbeaten streak, which to put this in perspective as well, he's not having one or two fights every year. He's making a fight a month at one point in his career. So he goes on an 18 fight unbeaten streak before beating, and I'm going to butcher his name, Baka Sayajaya or Sajaya, to become the WBC Youth Intercontinental Champion. And suddenly he goes from being this like hillbilly trailer trash guy who sometimes people might go and watch fight to like he's in all the newspapers, he's on the news, he's even got an agent, he's famous, like, and he's still famous now. But the money still wasn't coming in. And around this time, uh, a documentary maker whose name I've forgotten, but I will link the documentary down below. You can buy it, it's on Amazon Prime, it's not very expensive, I'd really recommend it. What's it called? It's called Junior. There's no narration. It's just like clips from his life. It's quite long form and it's really quite intense, but it's a really good watch. In that, it's incredibly clear that his agents are basically parading him around rich work conferences and charity events to try and basically milk his story and his upbringing and turn him into a kind of household name, but not in a very nice way. They're using it as like a marketing tool. Exactly. In fact, in one of the bits that's filmed in the documentary, his agent openly admits to Junior that he doesn't care about boxing. And because of this, Junior really struggled to get like the right gear, the right training time, because all the money is just being focused into press. They like print a book, they're doing t-shirts, making posters, but like none of that's actually helping him train. Then in August 2011, disaster kind of strikes And tragically, Junior's father, who was kind of his mentor, was shot by his youngest brother, the severely disabled brother. The gun had been his father's and obviously it was ruled an accident. Obviously, you know, you can all make a judgment on why there was a gun in the house. I don't think guns are legal in Belgium, but I'm not here to make a judgment on how fucking hard it is to grow up in abject poverty. In the press conference shortly after the tragedy, Junior was asked by journalists if he was ready for his next fight, which is three weeks later. 
and he tells them that his mind is not ready but that his body was and therefore he would win and when he did beating the european number two andre kudayevsky by unanimous decision he then went another nine fights unbeaten so he's on a 28 fight unbeaten streak which was then broken when he stepped up to super lightweight to fight Ruben Nieto for the EU super lightweight title. Now, it's a loss. And I feel like in current boxing culture, a loss is seen as like, oh, your career's over. It's fucking not. Not when you're fighting to put fucking money on the table. Then you just crack on. And that's what he did. In 2014, after a succession of other fights, he gets given another title fight this time at lightweight, for the EU lightweight title fight against Hungarian Georgi Mizir Jr. It's probably all said wrong, but you can look it up. A fight which he won by TKO, crowning him the lightweight champion of Europe. And as of recording this, Jr. has made a couple of other fights and is sitting on a record of 44 wins, 24 by technical knockout, 5 losses and 2 draws. That puts Junior at a total of 51 fights, which means he's four over four fights a year until 2019 when his last fight was. Damn, that's pretty fucking good. That's very good. Like, that's no fucking joke. And, like, to put that into perspective, most fighters will have a brief period where they burst onto the scene and suddenly you hear about this guy who's gone 25 fights unbeaten and then the next five fights might happen over five years. Yeah, you usually two a year is pretty good for guys who have established themselves as a name. They'll do like an April and like a November. Yeah, and even then, like someone like your Klitschko's and your Mayweather's and people like that. They might do one a year. One a year, whenever they feel like it. But none of that really, really matters. I think what really matters and what makes me think he is the GOAT is watching the documentary and just meeting him as a person. He is one of the funniest, nicest guys I've ever met outside of the ring and inside the ring he is a hillbilly nutcase with a rat tail punching the living fuck out of people to put money on the table and i think that is what makes you a great fighter is your motivation and your willingness to take a smash in the face i'm not going to quote that rocky line about how it's not how hard you can hit it's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward because that's how winning is done well, you just that is it, fucking no 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 i hate that what really matters is he was on a mission to put food on the table, get a bigger house for his family and basically pull them out of poverty. And that's what he fucking did. He now runs a really, really successful boxing studio. He married his wife, Daphne, who is a kickboxing champion and a complete machine in her own right. She once kicked me so hard I thought I was going to die. <laughs> like, honestly, she is mental. She is terrifying. <laughs> She's the worries and I'm worried about saying anything bad about Junior on this podcast. She will deck me. She is ridiculously terrifying. She's... And call you Brexit as she walks off. <laughs> and call me Brexit as she walks off. So now they founded this studio boxing verse together, which he has now used to provide an income for himself and his family. They're all doing really well for himself. He is the closest thing I've ever come to meeting like a really great person. And I don't mean great as in like, oh, he's great. But as I mean like someone who has an atmosphere and an aura of different. And he was so chill. Like I didn't realize how fucking famous he was until we went to a boxing thing. Like they do like boxing events. And I went with him and Daphne, they picked me up from my house. Like it was just like, they were just my mates. 
And then we got out and there was like crowds of people trying to talk to him. And we went for lunch afterwards and people were just coming up to him in the street and talking to him. And he paid for everyone's food. And like, I had no idea. He was just like a regular chill guy. After that, I went home, Googled everything that happened to him, tried to talk about it. And he was just like, that's in the past. Don't care. I'm here now. Fair play. And then he just taught me to say rude words in Dutch instead and called me Brexit. And on the last day, convinced the entire boxing studio. So this was the day I left. He told everyone there when I wasn't in the room that it was a British tradition when you were leaving that everyone ran round behind you and kicked you until you fell over. And uh, and they did. Fuck it now. What a legend. Hilarious. Oh, no, not kicked me, sorry, punched me. So they just walked around with their gloves on and just punched me. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and, uh, and then... <laughs> And then, uh, and then he was like, hey, and then he took me out for food. And yeah, I still talk to him now. We don't really have deep conversations, to be honest with you. The last time he messaged me was to ask me if COVID was going to make him as ugly as it's made me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Jean-Pierre Junior Bowens, I think, is the greatest fighter I've ever met. Because he didn't fight for Hollywood. He's not a Hollywood fighter. Most people probably haven't known about, don't know about him, especially if you're outside of Belgium. And I think what makes you a great fighter is why you fight and how you fight and not giving up. And I think he fought physically in the ring and metaphorically to pull his family from like abject poverty to being fine and good and happy. And I think that makes him the GOAT for me. He's not maybe your GOAT, but he's my GOAT. And I think he's a G. Ah, Sevi, that was lovely. That was really heartwarming. That was really nice. I like that a lot. Should we make some more jizz jokes and go home? I feel all fuzzy. Yeah, someone say something about coming because uh, I just came. <laughs> <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> that was great. I can't. I was like. The whole time you were telling that story, which you're not usually that scripted, that's why it was making me laugh so much. You were telling it like a narrator of a of a like a fucking documentary, and the whole time I was going because I I didn't know that story really. You've never said, mentioned this fella to me, but I was like, don't fucking say yourself, don't fucking say yourself. <laughs> I was actually I had that thought as well. <laughs> I was like, I cannot see where this is going. Are you gonna say like? Oh yeah, one time we crossed this bridge and like a fella tried to mug Lucy, so I sparked him out, and I'm, that's why I'm the fucking goat, mate. <laughs> <laughs> fucking boom, boom. <laughs> the the only thing that really sticks in my mind is when Junior said to me, "If there's one guy I'm scared of, Seb, it's you. I'd never get in the ring with you." <laughs> what, fuck off! No, he never said that. He, said, he shook my hand and he said, "You're the real fighter here." <laughs> He said, all the hardship I've been through is nothing compared to what you've been through. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone in, the, everyone in the boxing place, they all just clapped. They applauded. <laughs> they threw, like, roses at you. Serby, serby. Brexit, Brexit. <laughs> right, I think that just leaves time for me to crown a winner. So my two options for the GOAT combat fighter are... George St. Pierre, who is, I mean, according to this one stats I found, he has the highest score. He is the quote unquote absolute MMA champion of all time. There's something like he didn't lose a round for seven years. He didn't lose a single round. But people called him boring. 
Interpret it how you want, you filthy casuals. So I've got a pick between this guy who is categorically the best MMA fighter to ever breathe. (laughs) (laughs) And like reinvented the sport, like popularized it, like is just like literally like undisputed the best (laughs) MMA fighter ever. Well, this heartwarming tale of this lovely, young, impoverished Belgian and his family and how he wore his heart on his sleeves. He took himself from absolutely nothing to comfortable finance, to middle class or whatever. The dream. (laughs) The dream, yeah. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That was a great story. I really enjoyed that story, Sam. But I I think we all, (laughs) I think it's quite obvious who the winner is here. By unanimous decision. It's the blue corner! Georges Saint-Pierre! Sebi, I am not impressed by your performance. (laughs) (laughs) You're an asshole. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I just had to do it. Sorry, God. I was about to say fair play, but actually, fuck you. I don't agree. (laughs) It wouldn't be a fight against without a bit of trash talk. I loved your performance, Seb. Don't worry, mate. No, I did. Re- I did really. I did really. I've never. You've never told me that story. I didn't know any of that. To be fair, we've known each other for a very long time. So yeah, I've kept a bit quiet. I don't know why. It's just one of those funny ones. Do you know what it is? Is I like to talk, as you probably know, but it always felt like not really my story to tell. But this felt like the right moment to tell it. Like you know, it's not my shit, and I don't want to get the kudos for something because like he did all that shit, and I don't. I don't want to just get all the credit for saying it. I see what you mean, yeah. And I feel like just telling it at a party or to impress one of your mates is a bit. I don't know why. I don't really feel that way about anything else. Like it's pretty much. If you tell me a funny story, I will repeat it down the pub to try and make everyone laugh. Don't get me wrong. But for some reason, with Junior specifically, I just always felt like. It was his story and I didn't want to like nick it or not do it as service. And I'm still a bit nervous about the fact that I've done it here because I don't want to fuck it up. I was just sat there and I just thought I can't really do anyone else. Hand on heart, I'm totally chill with George St. Pierre winning because for me, I was like, I just have to be true to who I think is the GOAT for me. And, and that is Junior. I wouldn't have it any other way, mate. That is a great story. And I feel a bit bad because I feel like no one would win against George in this category but George is the goat for me as well like I grew up watching him on television the only reason why I started watching MMA I'm surprised you know being a big MMA fan that you are Michael I'm surprised you didn't pick the really obvious pick who's that Joe Rogan (laughs) do you know what actually this was another thing I was going to say which I forgot to put my pitch this isn't about Junior this is just about something cool that you should all go watch if you've listened to this much, I can only assume that you do somewhat like the sound of people talking about fighting. So you might want to watch a bit of fighting. I know you don't like this guy and you have previously called him a gimp. <laughs> Are you talking about me? <laughs> yeah, well, it's not Vinny. Vinny doesn't give a shit about fighting, does he? Why did I call him a gimp? <laughs> There's a video called 24 Men, One King, which does sound a bit like a porn video, but it's not. Just make sure you get those numbers right, because it's going to end badly if you don't. But it's actually of one Israel Idesanya fighting in a King of the Ring competition in Australia, which is basically back-to-back fights until you lose your position in the ring and then that guy takes it. So, like, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's like King of the Hill. And Israel Adesanya fought 24 people until they ran out of people. It's fucking insane. The man's a machine. Some of those people were, like, world karate champions and, like, UFC stars and he's just 
decking them, doing little spinny kicks, showboating, doing flying dragons, whatever you said. And it's incredible. But Michael called him a gimp, so make about what you will. Georgian Barham. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't. I, I honestly, I don't really know why. Something about him, his personality, his persona, and the way that he fights just winds me up. He just, he winds me crackers. He really winds me crackers. Well, speaking of crackers, come back next week to watch three white guys doing a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so obviously next week, if you've made it this far and you want to listen again, it seems unlikely. But if you want to come back next week, we've got an exciting one. We've got our first ever guest. Fingers crossed it doesn't all fucking fall apart. It is one Amy Mayer. And if you are one of the people listening to this who knows us, Personally, you might also know Amy personally, and she is coming on to discuss none other than the greatest porn star of all time. And if that doesn't make any sense to you, Amy, as well as being a very talented stand-up comedian, she is also a OnlyFans person. Don't know what the correct term is. Don't want to fuck it up. OnlyFans model. An OnlyFans model. Yes, Vinny, thank you. Of course Vinny knows. Of course Vinny knows. <laughs> so, um, yeah, which is going to be really interesting because she knows a lot about like sex work culture, but she also gets her baps out on the internet. And I think this could be a very interesting conversation. She will be our resident expert, won't she? She's going to be our expert um, and she's going to help us crown the goat. Yeah, I feel like that. I feel like next week's going to be a saucy one and there might be a lot of awkward silences. I, I-, I think it's going to be brilliant. So please listen. We're very excited to do it because we've not had a guest before and it's going to be interesting. I think it's going to be the unique combination of awkward, educational and funny that you have come to expect from this show. Why on our first guest? Why can we just done like the greatest chess player of all time? Something boring. Why have we got to have someone from OnlyFans? We're all just going to be like free giggling school children. Well, because I've got some questions that I really genuinely am interested to know. About the birds and the bees. (laughs) Where do they come from? Why am I growing hair down there? (laughs) (laughs) Why does my piss hurt in the morning? (laughs) Exactly. Why does it smell both bad and delicious? (laughs) (laughs) Should I be recycling? No. (laughs) Oh, shouts to Christian. Wow. So stay tuned next week, I guess. Yeah, stay tuned. And um, if you haven't already, check us out. We're now on. TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and I think I might try, if I can, also start putting the whole episodes on YouTube, not as a video, but just as like sound, because I know some people have been messaging me, being like, I listen to all my podcasts on YouTube, well, you can have it on there as well, and share the show, tell a mate, if you've got five quid to spare, this is how we got this shit, look, I've got a pop filter now, and a fucking webcam and shit, Michael's got a new hat. But yeah, if you've got a fibre to spare, that would be epic. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Love you. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.